You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at day3church.com. And for more information, find us on the web at day3church.com. Good morning. Looks like summertime, huh? I want us to stop in uh, and pray before we uh, begin, uh, kind of for a particular reason this morning. Uh, Daryl and Travis and Tracy uh, Triplett had an aunt to pass away in the funeral uh, today at First Baptist Whitnell at 3 o'clock. Her name was Barbara Baker. Daryl did not mention Sharon. I thought you said Barbara. Oh, never mind. Sharon. I'm sorry, Sharon. Anyway... Uh, the funeral will be today at 3, and, uh, and Daryl didn't mention that and would not probably because it's a personal uh, prayer request while he was up here. And I wanted us to uh, stop for a minute and just pray for the family. So uh, let's do that before we go any further. Uh, Father, we thank you for, uh, God, the hope that we have in your son. We thank you that uh, Barbara had a relationship with you. Father, we pray that you allow that to uh, speak peace to the family. And Father, if there's anyone uh, that does not know you, we pray that you'd use the service this afternoon to speak to need in their life. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Had another motive for that that you'll probably see as we go into the message. Uh, The fact that she knew Christ as her Savior is an all-important truth. And uh, I hope you can say that you know that for sure today also, because in part of the message, that's exactly what we're going to be dealing with. A couple of months back, um, I felt God kind of lay in upon my heart to do a series called The Next Step. And you have heard a similar phrase to that for quite some time around day three, because fairly often... At the end of the message, you'll see come up on the screen as we get into what we call our decision time, what is your next step toward God? And I just felt like we needed to take a a whole series and just focus on this thought, the next step. Today we're actually going to be talking about the next step in your life, and I'll have a little bit more to say about that in a moment. In this series, we're going to be pretty much hanging out in Galatians chapter 5 and chapter 6. So, you know, all this month, it might be good just to do some devotional reading there. But our theme verse for this series is found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25. And here's what the Bible says there. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You might just say, let us take our next step with the Spirit. It's it's God's goal for our life, guys, that the steps we take are His steps. That's what we need to evaluate and ask ourselves. Are we taking the steps the Holy Spirit wants us to take? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us in our choices, in our decisions, in in our lifestyle? And we need to stop and evaluate that. Let me kind of, you know, stop and deal with something also just real quickly for a context as we talk about uh, the Holy Spirit some today and in this series. And, uh, and that is this. Doing what the Holy Spirit wants you to do is not some mystical type of thing that you just reach out in the air and grab. Because some people view it as that. Really, when we are keeping in step with the Spirit, what we're doing is following this book that the Holy Spirit has written. See, some people will go on some wild tangent and and, and say, well, you know, I feel the Holy Spirit is telling me to do this. And then when you check it out with Scripture, what they have said the Holy Spirit wants them to do is completely opposite of what the Bible says. And God will never do that. The Holy Spirit will never impress you to take a step that you can't back up with Scripture. He will never violate His own will because God used the person, 
the third person of, the Holy, of, of God, the Holy Spirit, to move upon the hearts of men to write this down. Now, we don't have time today to do this. Next Sunday, we might visit it some. But if you look in, uh, in, in Ephesians, and, uh, and also not just in Ephesians, but in Colossians, if you look in Ephesians chapter 5, in Colossians chapter 3, and if you read some stuff that's there, don't do it now. You can do that later, maybe as a devotional this afternoon, tonight, or something. If you will look there, there's some specific instructions being given to the husband, wife, children, things about the family. In Ephesians, it talks about the Holy Spirit leading us to do those things. In Colossians, it tells us the Word of God instructs us to do the exact same thing. So I just pointed that out to you to where you understand what the Holy Spirit tells you and what the Word of God has to say will be the same. And, and we need to take our steps, our next step, in obedience to what the Holy Spirit reveals to us in God's Word. God's goal for your life and my life is to take His steps. Our goal for this series that we're starting today is for us to see what steps that God wants us to take. What is my next step? What is your next step? So I mentioned a moment ago, today we're talking about the next step for your life. Here's what we'll be dealing with all this month. I'm just going to bring it up to give you a, a kind of a big picture of it. Uh, by the way, next week is Mother's Day, so don't forget that. You'll be in trouble, you know? Hey, you think you get in trouble if you forget your anniversary? You do not want to forget Mother's Day. <laughs> and please invite people to come. Bring your mother here. We're going to have a, a little prize to give all the mothers, but we're also going to have two really special prizes, I think, uh, to give a lucky mother in each one of our services. We have a couple of uh, uh, ladies that have started attending day three a few months back. They're both professional photographers, and we've worked out a special package deal with them to where they will give you a professional photo shoot somewhere, and they're going to come do the photo shoot for you, and it has a package of pictures in with it, and I think that's something moms would like to have, you know, so that's what we're going to give away on that day. So bring your mother here. And we're going to talk about on Mother's Day the next step in your family's life. And then it'll be kind of a, of a discipleship-based type message, the uh, next step of his life and yours. And then the following Sunday, uh, matter of fact, John Hart, uh, a friend of mine who attends here, John's going to be bringing uh, this message, the next step in the lives of others. And then on the very last Sunday, Daryl and myself are going to kind of tag team uh, the message, and we're going to talk about the next step of our church on the very last Sunday. But today our focus is this, what is the next step for your life? What's the next step for my life? That's what we're going to look at today. Give you a background a little bit before we kind of jump into this. Galatians was written, inspired by God uh, through the Apostle Paul. He was the pen that wrote it down to primarily tell us about God's grace and how big God's grace is. As a matter of fact, in that day and time, there were people who were trying to minimize the grace of God by trying to bring legalistic rules into it. In other words, yes, it's by God's grace. Yes, you need to trust in Jesus, all that. But you also have to do all these other things. You have to be circumcised. That was one of the issues he was dealing with. I tell you what, Paul got kind of hot about that. Because if you read in this chapter, you're going to see something, and I want to tell you it's what Paul says, so don't get mad at me for saying it right now. It is in the Bible. Paul gets so upset with these who are trying to bring these new Christians underneath legalistic rules like circumcision, he says, I wish they would go ahead and go all the way and emasculate themselves. That's what the Bible says. Some of you men thought, oh... You're trying to sit there and look pious, but you thought, oh. Sorry, joke with you and tell you after I've been reading this about circumcision, maybe that needed to be, uh, you know, something we would um, add to our membership class or something like that. And, you know, aren't you glad you've already joined, huh? But that's 
what was taking place. They were trying to make these man-made rules and, and apply it to people's lives. So what you have happening in that day and time, there are people who are new believers who have received Christ, and they're kind of wrestling around, all right, what's next? You know, what's the next thing in my life? What's the next step I need to take? And there were false teachers saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, you, you, you need to be circumcised, you need to do all these other things that were part of the law in order to really be saved. So that's kind of the background to why he wrote Galatians to begin with. Today, as we talk about taking the next step, I want you to uh, think about two possible steps, two main steps that we're going to focus on today. Probably everyone here needs to be involved in one of these two steps. Step number one is this. The next step in your life could be salvation. If you have never received Christ as your Savior, the next step in your life, the next thing that you need to do, the thing that God has glaringly, I think, in front of your life, if you will just be sensitive and listen to Him dealing with your life, is this. You need to trust in me. You need to trust in what my son did on the cross for your sins. The first part of our theme verse says, since we live by the Spirit. Uh, that could be translated like this. Since the Holy Spirit has made us alive. And I want us to look a little bit this morning at the ministry of the Holy Spirit because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is highly involved in making us alive. I mean, just read in the Bible and you'll find out the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, lets you know that you're a sinner, lets you know that you have a need in your life. The Holy Spirit also teaches us about Jesus and how we need to trust in Him. The Bible even tells us the Holy Spirit keeps us sealed, keeps us saved until the day that we are completely in the presence of God. Look at these verses here for a moment. The Bible says when He comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus is telling His disciples this, when He comes, He will convict the world of guilt. That's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of our sin. He makes us guilty before a holy God. Convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He deals with us about our sin. He deals with us about God's holiness, God's righteousness, and the fact that there is a judgment to come. The Holy Spirit does that. That's part of Him bringing about life in our lives, real life. Look at the next verse. But when He, the Spirit of truth, another name for the Holy Spirit, He's the Spirit of truth, when He comes, He will guide you in all truth. He will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will only speak what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. The third part of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, is not going to run Rambo style and just speak of His own. He's going to say what God the Father tells Him to say. He's going to guide us in truth. Look at the next verse. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine. Jesus is speaking. He said the Holy Spirit is going to bring glory to Him, to Jesus, by taking of what is Jesus's and making it known to you. Taking what belongs to Jesus, the things about Jesus, and making it known to you to where you can understand what Jesus has done for you. Look at the next verse. When the counselor, another word for the Holy Spirit. He's there to counsel us, to guide us, to tell us what our next step needs to be. When the counselor comes whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about Jesus. He will testify about me. The Holy Spirit is highly, highly involved in you and I having life, in you and I coming to faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit is involved about that. Next verse tells us this in Ephesians 4. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, if you're a Christian, that ought to bless your heart. Because that means right now, because you trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in your life, you are sealed no matter what comes, no matter what happens to the day of redemption. You are guaranteed one day that you will be delivered into the very presence of God for all eternity. And the Holy Spirit has you sealed right now, this moment. And there's not one thing you can do about it, or the devil can do about it, or any situation can do about it, because the Holy Spirit has you sealed until the day of redemption a great question for you though would be this since we have life since the Holy Spirit has made us alive that's the first phrase we're looking at in our theme verse a great question for you to ask yourself is this has the Holy Spirit made me alive do you know for sure this morning that the Holy Spirit has made you alive that ought to be your question for the next moment or so in this message has the Holy Spirit made me alive? Oh, well, preacher, you don't understand. I'm already alive. I can move my arms. I can breathe. I can do this. I can do that. Well, you need to understand what the Bible says. Look at this verse. As for you, you were dead in transgressions, in transgressions and sin. In other words, if you have never received Christ as your Savior, the Bible says no matter how physically alive you might feel like you are, you are really dead. You are dead, spiritually dead in your sin. The Bible tells us that. Now, you may not like it. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not here to tell you things that you like. I'm here to tell you the truth. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you are spiritually dead. Look at the next verse, because we're told it again in a different way. Because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, aren't you glad He's rich in mercy? It means His mercy, a bountiful supply of it is there for us. God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Bible clearly tells us without Jesus, before we trust in Jesus, we're dead. And that's why I'm asking you this morning to evaluate and ask yourself this question, has the Holy Spirit given you life? Now right now I'm going to read two verses. We're going to look at two other verses in Ephesians. And I want you to really, really, really think about what they say. Because these two verses are extremely important. If you're not sure right now whether the Holy Spirit has made you alive. Look at the next passage. For it's by grace you've been saved. Stop there for a moment. Grace means you can't earn it. Grace means you don't deserve it. Grace means it is totally the unmerited favor of God God chooses you God in his grace while you don't deserve it there's no way you can be good enough to earn it God chooses you by his unmerited favor because he loves you and he wants you to be in his family in his heaven one day because of what Jesus did on the cross for it's by grace you've been saved through faith not works not trying to be good enough. Not trying to elevate yourself in some way. Not trying to build yourself some stairway to heaven. By faith, the Bible says. And then it goes on and it says, In this not from yourselves. In other words, the very faith that you need to trust in God is not something you self-generate. It's not something that you work up. God Himself will give you the very faith that you need to believe in Jesus. The faith to trust in Him is also a gift, an amazing gift from God. And it says, Not by works. Just to make it really clear, no way you can earn it. No way you can work for it. It's not by works. Because if there were some way we could work our way to heaven, we would boast about it. I mean, that's just our, our stinking human nature, isn't it? 
You ever been guilty of being boastful? I'm asking you to raise your hand. I think you're lying if you're not going to raise your hand. Have you ever been guilty of lying? I mean, if you didn't raise your hand about being boastful, you, 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 okay. But that's the way we'd be. I mean, if somehow we could work our way to heaven, even though Jesus died on the cross, and if there needed to be works added to it, and that's what people were saying in that day and time, and why Paul was writing this letter, if there's somehow that works were to be added to it, and you get to heaven by our stinking human nature, and someone asks you, tell me how you made it to heaven, we might say, yeah, Jesus died for me on the cross, He shed His blood for me, but can I tell you what I did? Can I tell you the works that I did? Can I tell you all the things that I did in order to get my way to heaven? The Bible says that will never, ever happen. The only boasting that's going to take place in heaven is when we boast about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. We will not be there boasting about anything at all that we have ever done. It will be totally, completely our boasting about Jesus Christ. So this morning, I'm asking you to ask yourself this question. Has the Holy Spirit made you alive? Because if you're not sure that that's happened, the Bible says you're dead in transgressions and sin. The Bible says that salvation is by grace. It comes through faith. It's a gift of God. There's not any way you can work for it. And you need to understand that this morning. If you have been dependent upon your own goodness, your own ability, your own self-worth, works that you think you could do to get yourself into heaven one day, I'm telling you something, that doesn't work, and you're not saved if you've been dependent upon your own goodness or your own works. You need to ask yourself this morning, has the Spirit made me alive? Because the Holy Spirit, He will do the work that God's given Him. He will not be negligent to fulfill the role that God's given Him. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. The Holy Spirit will let you know that you need to trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will teach you the things about Jesus. The Holy Spirit has the goal for you to have everlasting life. And He is there to convict you of sin so you will fall at the foot of the cross admitting you're bankrupt you have no hope whatsoever and you have to believe in jesus so are you sure this morning that you're alive see galatians chapter 5 and verse 18 tells us this but if you're led by the spirit you're not under the law Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, and it tells us it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We've been set free from the bondage of trying to work our way to heaven, from the bondage of trying to be good enough, from the bondage of thinking that somehow if we can just obey the law, we'll work our way into heaven. Christ sets us free from that because when He died on the cross, He fulfilled everything that the law had ever said, everything that needs to take place for you and I to have everlasting life. He has set us free if we, in fact, have trusted in Him. So can I ask you, have you taken that step? Do you know the Spirit has made your life? Have you taken that step? And if you have not taken that step, can I tell you, you can do it today? Matter of fact, can I tell you, you can do it right now instead of having to wait until a thing we call the invitation takes place. Because right now, I'm going to do something unusual since we just talked about the need to be saved. And I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray right now. And if you know that you need Christ as your Savior, you don't have to wait for us to sing a song. You can pray right now and admit to God that you're a sinner. And admit to Him and trust in Jesus and nothing else for your salvation. You can do that right now. We don't have to sing a song or anything else for that to take place. So as I pray now, if you know you need to receive Christ, why not pray right now to receive Him? You can come make it public later, but you can pray right now to receive Him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, there's someone here that they're just not sure that the Holy Spirit has given them life. Lord, the Bible tells us we're dead because of sin. The Bible tells us our only hope is Jesus Christ. 
that it's by grace. It's completely by your unmerited favor. It's by your grace that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins. It's by your grace and your mercy that you convict us of our sin and let us know that we need a Savior. So, Father, right now, if there's someone here that has never said yes to Jesus, I pray right now, in this moment, they would admit to you that they've sinned. And, Father, that they would trust in Jesus and nothing else and no one else, that they would step away from trying to believe in good works, trying to think they could work their way to heaven. Father, help them right now to say it's all by your grace. It's all by the finished work of Jesus upon the cross. And give them the faith they need as they pray to receive your Son. For it's in His name that we ask it. Amen. Now, if you pray to receive Him, you need to let us know at the end of the service. Because it's going to be a, a little while before we get there. Don't you piece that off. If you pray to receive Christ, God wants you to make that public. Jesus died publicly on a cross for your sin and for my sin. And He wants us to be public about our faith in Him. Your next step this morning could be salvation. But let's say you've already done that. You've already received Christ as your Savior. And if you have, that means your next step this morning could be sanctification. Fancy church word, huh? And the word sanctification is not even mentioned in the text that we're talking about today, but it is very much implied in what we're reading. Because the second part of our theme verse lets us know this. Since we've been made alive by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that's where sanctification comes in. Because as you and I take the next step God tells us to take in our lives, and the next step God takes, tells us to take in our lives, and the next step He tells us to take in our lives, through that process, we are practically becoming more sanctified, becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you a word study and talk about what sanctification really means in just a moment. But to start with, let's focus on this idea of keeping in step. The word means this. The word for keep in step means to march in military rank, to keep step in marching, to conform to virtue and piety, to walk in an orderly fashion. I mean, if you've been in the military, you've experienced this. If you've not been in the military, you've seen it happen on television or on the news to where they have pictures of troops and they are marching by and they are marching in cadence that is being given them by their leader. They're taking one step after the next step and they're going in the direction that they're instructed to go. If they're told to go to the right, they go to the right. To the left, they go to the left. If they're told to stop, they stop. If they're told to go, they go. And that's the picture the Holy Spirit has given us of how how you and I need to obey the Holy Spirit of God. How you and I need to obey God in our lives. How we need to be actively involved in this thing called sanctification in our lives. Taking the next step that God wants us to take. We're supposed to, as Christians, guys, march to a different drummer. We're supposed to stay in cadence to what the Holy Spirit is telling us, what God is leading us to do. We're not supposed to march to the same sound that the rest of the world hears. We're supposed to take our steps, our orders, our marching orders from the Holy Spirit of God. We're supposed to walk in an orderly fashion as we allow God to order our steps. Now, someone's going to say, well, Minica, but you just told me I was set free. Yes, but not to do anything you want to do. We'll deal more with that, with that in just a moment. I'm just telling you, we need to stay in step. We need to allow God to order our steps and not just be haplessly running whichever direction we want to go. March in the way that God wants us to march. I've never been in the army although i've seen all those pictures i have spent a lot of time around marching bands because of my son being in the marching band we have some others here that are in the marching band and when y'all are marching you have to march the way that you're supposed to march all in the same direction if not you have chaos 
Guys, that's why a lot of Christians have chaos in their lives. They're marching just however they want to march. That's why a lot of churches have chaos in the midst of their church because everyone's marching however they want to march. What we need to do is keep in step with the Spirit. We need to march in the way that He tells us to march. The word sanctification refers to being separate or set apart to God. In other words, we were sinners, and the moment we received Christ as our Savior, God takes us out of our sin. He separates us from having been lost and dead in our sin. He brings us over, and He puts us in His family, and now we've been set apart to God. The moment you receive Christ, there's this sanctification that takes place from a doctrinal aspect. If you'll read on down, you'll see doctrinal and practical. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, in a doctrinal way, in a theological way, God takes you and He puts you unto Himself, and now you are sanctified in a doctrinal viewpoint. In a practical viewpoint... We are being sanctified as we take the next step that the Spirit tells us to take and the next step that the Spirit tells us to take. As we read this Bible and we allow this Bible to transform our lives, while doctrinally God has said you are sanctified, in a practical way we are becoming more like God wants us to be, more like Jesus wants us to be as we read this Word and we apply it to our lives. We are taking steps that make us more and more and more like Jesus. Steps that make us look more like our Heavenly Father who now we belong to. We've been birthed into His family. That's the practical aspect of sanctification. To give you a picture of, of what it kind of looks like uh, is, is this. When they would bless and set aside and consecrate vessels to be used in worship inside the temple or inside the tabernacle, those vessels were set aside to be used only for worship inside the tabernacle, never again to be used for common purposes. Guys, that's the way we ought to view our lives. Oh, I'm not saying we've arrived. Yes, we're still human and we still struggle with sin. But I'm telling you, your view and my view ought to be this. I have been consecrated and set apart to be a vessel to be used for God, not to be used for common purposes. And if we would keep that as a mindset, I think it would help us win some victories over temptation in our lives when we would remind ourselves, my life's not for that anymore. My body's not for that anymore. My body and my life has been set apart to God, and I'm a vessel that He wants to use. So ask yourself that question. Maybe your next step needs to be sanctification. Maybe you need to be keeping in step with the Spirit. Recently, Adam Triplett went on a uh, mission trip. And uh, you helped to support that in a big way by giving designated gifts to our mission account. So as you were giving to missions designated in our mission account at our church you were hopefully taking the next step by giving. Adam took a next step by going, and I've asked him at this part of the message, and I'll be back and we'll go through some really important stuff and then close out, but I've asked Adam to come and share with us a few minutes about this next step that he took on the mission trip. Thank you, Adam. For the uh, chance to get to go. You guys provided that for me um, by giving, and that has helped me in the sanctification process, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. I'm not going to talk long. Okay, good. Um, but uh, I just want to thank you guys, and thank you for being a family that I can lean on for support, both financially and both through prayer and uh, counsel as well. Um, so I just want to thank you guys for that before I even get into kind of what I want to say. So, I guess it was probably about three weeks ago, four weeks, a month, a month ago, yeah. Um, I went to Macedonia, which is in Europe, 
if you didn't know that. Um, but it's kind of near Greece, Turkey, uh, around that area, um, Albania, all in there, uh, Bulgaria. Those are all fun words to say. But we went there, and I worked with the Roma people group, um, who are a displaced people group. They are commonly known as gypsies. That would be the more common term for them. Um, but that kind of has some derogatory connotations to it. Uh, so I don't use that term. Um, but they originated from northern India. And because they were part of a lower caste system, if you don't know what caste it's like they weren't nobility, they weren't middle class, they were like low, low. They were forced out because they were seen as unclean. They were forced out of India and they were forced north into Europe. And they're all over Europe. Uh, last year I went to go to Poland and work with them there. And they're in Romania and they're in um, Russia and some other places. And we got to go to Macedonia for 10 days and work with them there. And it was a real eye-opening experience. But I realized on that trip, and the reason that I'm sharing at this point, talking about sanctification, not necessarily talking about missions, but I realized on that trip that serving God is part of that sanctification process. Um, I don't know about you guys, but my salvation experience has been a process I prayed, I prayed and asked Jesus to go to heaven when I was six years old. Now, I didn't fully understand the concept of that relationship and all that it meant, but I do believe at that age that God saw an honest heart and a willing heart, and He began to work in my life and began to sanctify me. And He used different events, including going to Macedonia, to sanctify me and to mold me. Now, I'm not fully molded yet, um, but... He used those things to mold me into the person he wants me to be and ultimately the person I will become when he returns and uh, we receive a new body. Um, so I really want to really expound upon that idea that when you're serving Lord, when you're in step with God, the sanctification process takes place at that time. Um, when we were there, I don't have any pictures, I'm sorry, um, but the reason I don't is because what we did while we were there is we would go to houses in this neighborhood. We would go to houses, and Roma people are very welcoming. They, even though they don't know you, they'll invite you into their house, give you coffees, tea, whatever you want, and they'll just talk to you. Like, and I love that about them. They have so many different aspects of their uh, culture and their social life that if they could turn those to God, they would be so useful. The idea that they, they, they give very um, lovingly to one another, family is huge, um, welcome the way they welcome people, and if they would just turn, if that if that could be molded t for God and towards God, it would take the world by storm, I believe. But uh, we would go to their houses and we would do surveys, which kind of sounds crazy. I felt like we were kind of like census workers a little bit. Um, but we would go to their house and we would just ask them questions about life, about why they thought the Roma people were so poor, um, what they thought about marriage, if they thought it was okay for a Roma to marry a non-Roma, stuff like that, stuff like we don't really think about, but we want to know about them because it may help us open the door for the gospel. Um, so we would ask some questions about that, and eventually it would work its way down to, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe that people sin? Do you believe that, what do you believe happens when you die? How can you be forgiven of sin? And basically it just like walked right into the gospel, and they never saw it, that sounds really bad to say, but they never saw it coming, and it, we just went right into it, and um, I don't know if you guys have experienced this. I hope that you have. But when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, like, there is something that just swells up inside of you. And, like, my heart just starts racing. And I, a couple times I had to get up and just run around. I'm just kidding. Um, but it was, uh, it was made more known when I was doing it through a translator because I would say something to the translator and then they would translate it. So I actually got to see the wheels turning in the people's minds as they heard what I had just said. And normally you don't get to do that if you're just having a conversation with someone because you just keep talking. Um, but you say it since the translator, they translate, and you get to see what the people's reactions were. And that whole process was really good because I began to understand not only what it meant to share the gospel unashamedly, but also what it meant to... learn from them and what they believed and how that impacted my life and the way that I shared the gospel with them. They are 
Muslim by association, which means most of them can't read very well. They don't own a copy of the Quran. So, like, and they're not practicing Muslims, but if you ask them what religion they are, they say, oh, I'm a Muslim. <laughs> it, it, uh, it almost kind of sounded like it does here in the South. If you ask somebody if they're a Christian, they're like, yeah, I go to church. You know what I'm saying? Um, talk about that more in a second. But uh, they, uh, they would... They would say, yeah, I'm a Muslim, and they, would, they have some idea of what they believe. Um, but anytime you start talking about Jesus, they will say things like, how could, how could God be a man? Because they know that Christians believe that Jesus was all God and all man. They would say, well, how could God be a man? Or they would say things like, how could God bleed if you start talking about the cross? And they would just pose these questions, and you're just like, ugh, ugh. Um, and it just opened that door to... I'm opening my eyes to opposition I've never felt before, especially here in the South, of people saying, no, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. No, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, and there's also some Jehovah's Witnesses there. I don't know how they got there, but they got there. Um, you can't ride your bike across the ocean. Um, I don't know. Um, anyways, so they, uh, they, 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 they were there too, and they believe... Um, as, along with Muslims, that, that to atone for their sins, they have to do good things. And that's really why I'm sharing at this point, because that's what I really began to understand about my life, is that they, the, uh, the Muslims there, Jehovah's Witness, and there's a lot of Greek Orthodox too, which is heavily based um, in tradition and religious practices and stuff like that. So they, they ultimately believe that they, they can work their way to heaven. That's what they would always say. Well, if your good outweighs your bad, that's what they would tell you of how you atone for your sin. Or if I do more good things than I do bad. And I began to realize, and this is what you'll see, if, if you're in step with God, and if you follow God, the experiences, while you may be pouring and doing ministry in other people's lives, God uses the experience in your own life to sanctify you. Does that make sense? The experiences that you have in your own life, although you may be helping people, they change you as well. And I began to see that God began to strip away the layers and say, it's not because of these things you're doing for me, Adam, that I know you. It's because I know you and love you that you're doing these things. And that, that really marries the two points that the preacher's making today of salvation and sanctification. It's because of the salvation that we keep in step with God. It's not that we keep in step with God so that we receive the salvation. And I think, and he hit on this, but I, I think on a more, more personal level, it would be like, why are you here today? Like, why did you come to church this morning? Was it because you earnestly wanted to worship God and fellowship with believers, with your brothers and sisters or was it because you have to? I feel like, oh man, I haven't been to church in three weeks. I've got to go to church. And, and that's part of that sanctification process, that realization that the Spirit lives inside of us and we have communion with the Spirit. Those things, those, those actions, those services, it just comes out. It just comes out. And this is going to, I don't, I, I say this with all humility. I really feel like the reason I've been able to go on so many mission trips and been able to serve God and feel like God has things in store for me in my future is honestly the only reason I feel like that is because I've simply said, okay, I'll, whatever you want, God. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Whatever you want. And, um, and, and that was something that I really began to grasp um, in Macedonia was because I could have kept quiet. I could have not share the gospel. But I, was, I just said, God, whatever, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. And when you make that statement, that bold statement, sanctification can really begin to take place. And you begin to keep in step with God where, where it's almost like it, everybody's probably had that pet dog or you know somebody has that pet dog that's always like right at their feet and it's always getting in the way and they kick it a lot. But I almost feel like that we need to be that way with Jesus, that we're just right there and we're like, Jesus, where, where are you going, Jesus, where are you going? I'm, I'm right behind you, where are you going, where are you going? And that's the way that we need to be with him and serving him. And again, I just thank you guys for the opportunity to get to go and to get to serve. And I hope that you can really begin to grasp that on, on a uh, personal 
level. Not not that all of us, all of you, are called to uh, fly across the pond and go serve in another country, but that God is using the experiences in your life right now to sanctify you, and that we have to keep focused on Him, right behind Him the whole time. I hope I didn't say anything that you were going to say earlier. It's okay. Um, but that's all, and I, I thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks. And I want to thank you guys again for giving. Uh, so, you know, so that can happen, that kind of stuff can happen. I want to thank him for going. Uh, and he kind of gave you a picture there of sanctification. So I, I want to ask you a question before we kind of get into that a little bit deeper. Uh, you know, is sanctification taking place in your life? I mean, is, is that something that's taking place right now? Do you feel like you are taking next steps that God wants you to take? Have you been trying to take next, next steps? And maybe to help us evaluate whether or not sanctification is taking place in our lives, we can look at two hugely different lifestyles that are presented in Galatians chapter 5. Because there's one group uh, of, uh, of the description of a lifestyle that, that talks about acts of the sinful nature. And then also in Galatians 5, there's, a, there's another passage, there's another several verses together, a couple verses together, that, that talks about fruits of the Spirit. So what I want us to do is we you know, start working toward the end of the service and decisions that you might need to make and I might need to make today is this, would be for us to evaluate kind of where we are. I mean, is sanctification, is sanctification taking place in your life? or Is your life like the sinful nature, or is your life the way that God wants it to be? Is your life having the fruits of the Spirit uh, involved in it? Because here's the deal with that. Uh, just because we receive Christ as our Savior doesn't mean that all of a sudden our ability to sin is gone. It doesn't mean our ability to live the way we used to live is gone. It doesn't mean just because you become a Christian that the old nature disappears. Because the Bible actually teaches this, guys. The old nature that you've had all the time when you receive Christ, guess what? The old nature's still there. But now you've been given a, a new nature that the Holy Spirit of God brings into your life when you receive Christ. And yet we tend sometimes to let the old nature control us instead of allowing the new nature to control us. And that needs to be the issue that we're, that we're really concerned about as we think about that, as we try to evaluate today if sanctification is taking place in our lives. So two things. First of all, let's look at a life that's controlled by the sinful nature. A life that is controlled by the sinful nature. As I said, we trust Christ as our Savior. Doesn't mean instantly, all of a sudden, we don't have to worry about ever struggling anymore. It doesn't mean that we'll never sin anymore, or anything like that. Because those two natures, the Bible tells us, are at war within us. Uh, Galatians tells us this, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict. There's a battle, there's a war that takes place in our lives between the old nature and the new nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And, 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 you know, a lot of times I think we get really down on ourselves because we have this struggle. Listen, the Apostle Paul, who God used to write more of the New Testament than anyone else in Romans chapter 7, said the last part of that phrase. He said, I don't do what I want to do. I don't do the things I know I'm supposed to. I wind up doing the things that I know I'm not supposed to do. So the Apostle Paul had this conflict, this war going on inside him. And you need to recognize that as a believer, you still have this struggle. You can be taking steps that take you in the wrong direction, that take you back to the old nature, or you can be taking steps that God wants you to take that would be fruits of the Spirit that represents the new nature that God wants us to have active in our lives. Now, let's read, and matter of fact, I want to look at it in three translations to help you understand kind of what's being said. Let's look at a description of the acts or the steps that people take when they're following the sinful nature. Look, look at these verses. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Uh, maybe not sometimes to us, but they're obvious to God, and a lot of times obvious to other people. 
uh, who are watching our lives. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying that that is all your life is. So there's an evaluation point for you. If that's all your life is, if you think you've received Christ, maybe you made some type of emotional decision, Walt and I, VBS, a bunch of other kids coming forward, or whatever the case is, if you just made some type of emotional decision and your life has never, ever changed, and, and that's a good description of all your life is, and you don't have any of the other stuff we're going to talk about in a moment, you might need to really seriously evaluate if you know Christ. Because he's saying if that's all your life is, if that's the habit of your life, if that's the pattern of your life, he's saying those will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at it also in the New Living Translation, just to kind of help give us some more insight. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Look at how the message puts it for a moment. Uh, because it, it's really wordy, but it'll help us understand, uh, I think, some more about what uh, God is telling us here. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. In other words, you're trying to live the life that you want, not the life that God wants. You're living your life based upon the old nature. Uh, repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. Now, does all that give you a little bit of a picture of those three translations, the kind of junk we're talking about? Hey, that's the kind of stuff we struggle with, isn't it? That's the stuff in our humanity, if we're just you know, living life the way we want to live it and leaving God out of the equation, that's the kind of stuff that pops up hugely in our lives. And as a Christian, that's not the steps that God wants you to be taking. Now, as I said a moment ago, some of you might think, well, you read earlier that you know Christ set us free for freedom's sake. I thought I was free. Yes, that's true, but look at Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but not to use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. That's not what we're supposed to be about. That's not the steps we're to be taking. Instead, we need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 15. And He died for all, that those who live, catch this, should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. When, when, when Christ redeems us, when we trust in Him, there ought to be a change that takes place to where we are no longer living for ourselves. Now, I'll visit this in a big way probably the last Sunday when we talk about the next step of our church, the next step of day three. But guys, really here ought to be our focus. The moment you receive Christ as your Christian, you receive Christ as your Savior, the moment you become a Christian, this church stops being about you. You ought to be in this church trying to reach other people for Christ. It is not about living for yourself when you receive Christ as your Savior. You're not supposed to, to let all those other activities we just read about invade your life. That shouldn't be the pattern of your lifestyle. That should not be the steps that you're taking. Instead of having a life controlled by the sinful nature, secondly is this, you need to have a life that's controlled by the Spirit's nature. 
And I phrased it a little bit different to try and help you understand. You have a sinful nature, but now you've received Christ as your Savior. You have the Spirit's nature living inside of you. Next slide, please. You have the Spirit's nature living inside of you. That's the steps we ought to be taking. Look at what the Bible tells us. If you're trying to evaluate if some sanctification has taken place in your life, are you still taking all those steps of the sinful nature, or are you taking some of these steps? But the fruit of the Spirit, the nature of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, things that ought to be popping up out of our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. The word fruit means fruit as plucked. These things that I just read about, the root word means to seize or to pluck or to take. All those things I just read about ought to be evident in our lives as Christians to where other people can come up and harvest those things. They can come up and pluck those things from our lives. They can receive love from our lives in joy, in peace, in patience. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We ought to be plucking those things from the Holy Spirit in our relationship to God ourselves. We ought to be able to reach out to God in our relationship with Him and and grab hold of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All those things we ought to be reaching out and taking from God and those fruits of the Spirit need to be active in our lives so other people can harvest those things, pluck those things from our lives and make a difference in their life. Did you notice the Bible calls these things fruits, not works? See, there's a difference between a fruit and a work. A fruit grows because of a living relationship. A machine, a cold, dead machine, can crank out work, but it can't crank out fruit. God doesn't call us to be cold, dead, legalistic machines. God calls us to be grafted into Jesus Christ. And because we're grafted into Jesus Christ, we bear forth fruit. We have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And that's why fruit can grow in our lives. It ought to be something that other people can reach out and pluck and gain some benefit from in our lives. So let's break these down, and then we'll close. There are nine fruits of the Spirit that are listed there. The first three are internally based and are from God alone. We can't generate them. We might think we can, but we can't really generate these. These three are inward, and they come from God alone. I want you to notice what's first on the list. First on the list is love. That communicates something to us. All the rest of the fruits of the Spirit find their foundation in love. Everything else that we're going to talk about here through the rest of this list finds its foundation in love. The word that's used here for love talks about the God type of love, the Jesus type of love. It's a beneficial type of love. Joy and peace. We'll break all three of those down kind of with some word studies. Next slide, and let's just do that. And then the word love, like I said, it's agape. It's love or affection. It's benevolent love. In other words, you're giving it not because a person deserves it, but benevolence on your behalf, you give that kind of love. Do you understand that God doesn't love you because you deserved it? You understand that Jesus does not love you because you deserved it, and He went to the cross and died for you because you're so valuable, and you you deserved it? He did it benevolently because He wanted to love you. He chose to love you. And that's the type of love we need active in our lives as Christians to where we choose to love other people. They might not deserve it. They might not be worthy of it as we look at the way they act and their activities, but we're to choose to love them. The word for joy means cheerfulness or a calm delight. It's not talking about happiness. It's completely different than the idea of happiness. It means gladness times greatly when you kind of literally look at it in the Greek. It talks about having an exceeding joy. The root means to be cheerful, calmly happy, and well off. What it's talking about is this. It's the fact that you and I, because we through Christ, have a relationship with God to where we can calmly, no matter what the circumstances are, trust in God. 
We can be facing hell by the acre. We can be facing all types of tragedy, all types of turmoil in our lives. But as Christians, we might not be happy about what's taking place. But in the midst of it, I can have a calm assurance in my relationship to Christ, in my relationship to God the Father, understand He's in control of it all. And I can have joy in the midst of terrible circumstances. The word peace literally means to join together or to set it one again. That's something that God does for us when we receive Christ. We were dead, now we're alive. We were set apart to sin, now we're set apart to Him. God Himself brings us into a relationship with Him through Christ. Now we're made at one with Him again. We were at enmity with God, now we are made at peace with God and you and I can experience that peace no matter what's happening in our life we can remind ourselves hey I am one with God God through Christ took me out of my sin made me at one with Him and I want to have this type of confidence and this type of fruit in my life the next three deal with relationships with other people the next three gifts of the Spirit you're going to have patience and long-suffering kindness and goodness Look at those for a minute. They're dealing with the relationships with other people. Patience means forbearance or long-suffering. means to be long-tempered. In other words, slow to get angry. The root word spoke of someone having just you know, an angry snort. You know, all of a sudden, you know, just anger flies up and their nostrils fly out and they're breathing fire, you know, just like a, like a mad bull or something. But here the Word's talking about the opposite of that. As Christians, instead of us being so prone to, to go to that type of anger toward other people, we need to be able to have some patience. A way to apply that practically in your life is just, you know, in other words, you, you can put up with people that continually irritate you all the time. <laughs> that ever happened? God, I wish you'd put that person in the place. I wish you'd send, you know, here they are coming again. I'm going to hide. I'm going to go the other way. You ever been to Walmart and you see somebody coming, you hide from them? Ah, guilty. Guys, as Christians, we ought to, to have, have more patience. I'm just going to go and tell you something that I was going to wait till the end of the service. You probably saw those crosses on the way in. And during the invitation time, inside your updates, you've got a little note in there, kind of like the next step note to God. And during the invitation time, we're going to ask you to identify some things, write some junk down you need to stop. In other words, some of those acts of the sinful nature that are going on in your life, you need to say, God, yeah, it's there, and, and God, I need help with it. Write it down and go back there and at the baskets. There are some push pins, and, and push those into those crosses. And I'll explain more about that in a moment. The reason I got off on it right now is because the one I'm talking about I've already stuck on that cross because I need more patience in my life. I'll just be transparent with you. Now, you may not realize it, but you ask my family, <laughs> my kids sometimes. I, I, I need more patience. I need more of that fruit of the Spirit in my life. We need to have kindness as a fruit going on in our lives. And, and the word kindness actually means usefulness. In other words, there ought to be the kind of kindness in our lives that's useful for other people. It, it, it even means employed. The root word means employed as useful. To furnish what is needed to graze. Guys, as Christians, there ought to be enough kindness in our lives that it furnishes what other people need in their lives. There ought to be enough kindness that God, through the Holy Spirit, generates in our lives that it can be employed by other people as useful in their lives. To be honest with you, based upon the word study that's here, as Christians, there ought to be a, enough kindness in our lives that other people can graze on it. Goodness. Simply means goodness, virtue, or, or beneficial. The root word means to be good in any sense. It means something that's beneficial for someone else. As a Christian, we ought to have that type of goodness in our relationships toward other people. The word actually means this. You're able to absorb mistreatment from other people and still convey goodness back to them. 
That's an attitude that God wants to generate in our lives by the Holy Spirit. The last three fruits of the Spirit are traits that ought to be involved, active in our lives as, as Christians. Just kind of some, some general traits that ought to guide a believer's life. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Faithfulness, the word that's translated for faithfulness, literally means to have faith in Christ. It means persuasion of reliance upon Him. But here's the deal with that. We rely upon Christ because of His faithfulness as Christians. There ought to be a fruit in our lives that causes us to be faithful to where other people can rely upon us. Gentleness. Mildness, humility, meekness, the, the root word simply means mild. In other words, we're, we're humble, we're considerate toward others, we're submissive to God and to other people, practicing some humility in our lives. Self-control. <laughs> I'm the hit dog again, I should have wrote that one down. I guess I'll do that during invitation time. Temperance. Be strong in the thing. In other words, you're masterful. You're being you're self-controlled in in appetite. You're self-controlled in, in you know over the sinful human desires and the lack of restraint that they have. In, in, instead of just losing yourself in in things that you shouldn't lose yourself in. As Christians, we ought to have a fruit in our lives that gives us self-control to where we can make the right choices instead of just giving in like we don't have any choice. I mean, that thing from years and years ago, you know, the, the comedian had it out years and years ago, the devil made me do it? No, he didn't. The devil tempted you, but you choose. We need to have self-control in our lives to where we surrender completely to the holy spirit now that might seem like you lose control well man if i just give over completely to everything that god wants in the holy spirit i don't have control over my life anymore can i tell you something that's a good thing because the control that he places upon our life the steps that he tells us to take are always positive always the stuff that we need to do the next step we need to take what's your next step today maybe your next step is salvation we talked about that to begin with maybe you even prayed earlier when i stopped and i told you you can pray right now and receive christ maybe that's your next step if you didn't pray then if you were still holding back a little bit i, I want to tell you something if you don't know christ that's the next step that god has on his agenda for your life Nothing else, you know, all the stuff I've talked about, sanctification, all that stuff, that matters not one bit to your life until you receive Christ as Savior. If you don't know Him, the next step is salvation. You do know Him, the next step is sanctification. And is that taking place in your life? Are those things taking place in your life? Galatians 5.24 tells us this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. The word crucify means to impale on a cross. It means to, ex to extinguish, to subdue a passion or selfishness. The root word means a stake or a post. It was a word used to speak of capital punishment and also used for self-denial. See, maybe today what you and I need to do is this. Just maybe today what you and I need to do is crucify some stuff in our lives. Maybe we need to impale some stuff in our lives. Let's pray. You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com.